0: Welcome back to the Black and Raw podcast. I'm your host, Tino Kuda, Tondaraya von Zalbaya. Now, I ain't going to repeat that. He was a podcast that has created the dialogue and the space for black men to be their most authentic selves. Now, my guest today, Howie, describes himself as a director, designer, and divisor in whatever media outlet that is so how he has created a film called mixed up and it explores his identity as a mixed race man um, but also being a gay man as well he also talks about his future projects that he's going to be doing and how he likes to champion the voices of underrepresented people and i think you guys are really going to enjoy this conversation me and how we talk about um whether originality exists you know how can we be individuals in what we do how can we not be sheep um we also talk about his uh, his husband he mentions him a little bit in this episode um we talk we touch on some political stuff as well um there's a lot of interesting things we discuss in this episode but let me give you guys a little snippet of what you've actually got to look forward to in this episode so bear with me with just a second
1: i think one of those struggles that many people have is mixed people which i i felt less of this until i would say i was a bit older but a lot of people, I think, want to belong. And I've never had that desire because I've always wanted to be um, autonomous and uh, sort of not blend in with the crowd. And so, and um, it's almost been expansive. Like, I've, in the pandemic, I, I got some medical records for i can't remember what reason but i didn't have mine from my childhood and it confirmed a lot of what i knew already of my being intersex and um and so i was like whoa this is wild to be a mixed race of working in mixed media and i'm mixed gender too like what there's something about being mixed that will always be a part of my life. And, and it's so beautiful to see that my, the synthesis of my being will be impacted from so many influences. And so I would say it's, it's made me um, really, I'm very cognizant of work that has a political agenda. And I don't, I'm not sure if that always serves its purpose. You know, something that my husband has said, um who's he's just such a wealth of knowledge is that theory really comes out of practice we we can leave that for the critics and the you know the people that theorize about it but really our work can't start with theory we have to start with inspiration and ideas and inquiry and i think that's what i'm excited about
0: so now that you've got a little bit of a snippet of what you got to look forward to in this episode i hope you guys do enjoy this episode if you do please go and like and review it um, on spotify or apple podcasts i really appreciate it. it helps this podcast grow um or share it with your friends do one of the two either way it helps this podcast grow so thank you very much guys um i hope you like i said i hope you enjoyed this conversation with howie i really enjoyed talking to howie and i think there are some interesting things everyone was going to be able to take out of this episode so um yeah i think that's it is that it is that it i'm not talking to anybody i'm talking to myself i'm talking to you but i'm also talking to myself <laughs> either way um here is my conversation with howie uh so howie welcome to the black and Raw podcast it's really good to have you on
1: oh uh, thank you so much for having me here appreciate it
0: it's all right, it's all right, it's blessed. Yeah, when I saw you on um, I think it's this matchmaker for um for podcasters, I was like, Yeah, that's someone I definitely have to get in touch with and um
1: connect with Oh someone. yeah, it's like Bumble, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, so yeah, Bumble for podcasters.
0: <laughs> so yeah it was I, I, it was brilliant someone sent, sent it to me on LinkedIn and I was like oh, okay I'll check this out and I was like oh and I've got some really good people from it so including you so mm. it's been really helpful to be fair so yeah thank you for coming on and for chatting and for chatting to me today as well anytime um so yeah so um my audience will get a bit about you um in the preview they would have already heard um and I guess maybe I'll just sort of start we'll sort of start in your childhood, because I think that might be a good place to start off in. um people might not know you were born in England, you're born in Bath for anyone oh. that, <laughs> Bath <laughs> or Bath, which is it um, <laughs> and you emigrated to Canada when you were very young. um so I guess like what were you some of your fondest memories as a child um in either location?
1: Oh uh, that's a wonderful question. Do you know what's funny as I was just there for Christmas? And um, I realized how, A, how more diverse it is in Bath now. And I think a lot of people do go there because it's so beautiful. Um, but, I, I, you know, one of my earliest memories was just the the schooling. I found it, uh, the education system was a lot better there than Canada. No events, Canada. <laughs> so, I, I, you know, I, I learned a lot about history, but... I guess it's interesting how the perspective of that history is sort of assumed and what's left out. And since moving to Canada, it's been a real awakening to what is, you know, what does it mean to be Canadian is the big question that's asked here because it's, it is very diverse here, but there's also a a huge question around what is, Indigenous sovereignty because we're part of the Commonwealth. And I think, you know, this attempt towards claiming autonomy and self-determination that so many Indigenous people in Canada have demanded really at so many different levels of the government here. It's been really naturally moving here and questioning myself my whole life of where I belong. It's been a real i I even say this in my film, actually, it's been a sort of decolonization of my mind having left the UK. I feel like I'd be a very different person had I just stayed there. And, um, and so when I was back in Bath this Christmas, I was in this square with my husband and then I just broke down <laughs> out of nowhere. It was like, <laughs> and it was so beautiful too. I don't know where the tears were, whether it was like, sort of grieving the innocence of when I was there, I was so young, I wasn't thinking so much. And just the the irony that as you grow older, you learn more and learning more, you're also unlearning these assumed histories and um, ways that we're sort of prescribed to think. So it was really it was, a, it was an intense holidays yeah. to say.
0: Really. <laughs> I mean, the tears were out um, and you're back, you're back home. And yeah, I've, I thought it was quite interesting in terms of when you talked about education and when you moved from Canada, you sort of had a decolonization of how your thought patterns. Um, it's always interesting when you find out about what um, previous Act, not actors, but previous governments, previous sort of regimes were getting up to like you don't learn about, you know, the what is it? I think Britain had a China, a tea war or something along those lines where they mm. they couldn't get tea off China because China were like, no, we want we want actual money for this. And then they got everyone hooked on opioids. They're so drug dealers basically. Wow. <laughs> and something else which I thought was interesting, like In terms of we're talking about canada will make it relevant to uk and canada um i didn't know that canada sort of systematically um sort of tried to wipe out the aborigines i mean kind of did in terms of taking their children away from them and putting them into adoption with whiter families and sort of assimilating and
1: trying to get rid of Aborigines. oh my god that is and very well articulated on your part it was to literally wipe them out to take, get rid of the Indian in them. And that was, you know, where I, where I lived in Kelowna, I was not you know, how far, uh, I would say like 50 kilometers from one of the last residential schools that closed in the nineties, wow. 1990s. So I was going to, you know, school, regular school, and there was a residential school, where this was still happening. So it's such um, it's so easy to talk about slavery, like what happened to so many of our ancestors. There's this tendency to talk in the past tense and actually what's happening to indigenous people and even black people now is still happening. That's the the strange cyclical nature of history it's actually a lot of repetitions are happening and how do we break those cycles is something I'm really interested in exploring as an artist. Actually,
0: Yeah, definitely. And I guess as an artist, how are you exploring that? Like I know, um, fortunately you, were, you, were, you let me watch your film mixed up, which I thought was absolutely great. And I think we'll probably dissect parts of it, but I guess how, yeah, how are you doing that as an artist? Um,
1: and yeah yeah I think the the benefit of my craft is being mixed in not just in my you know DNA, but my practice is very mixed. i'll I'll sort of move between visual arts and theater and film and opera. And I think you know it's very natural that my intersections, my practice, sort of spans from spoken word, visual arts, singing, dance, to directing and design. So it's a big area that I'm covering in my practice. Often the form doesn't really present itself till later in the development. And I think the themes I'm exploring are to do with queerness, are to do with blackness. And I've got some really interesting projects coming up in the the new year and beyond that one is exploring a history at Fort York, which is right downtown Toronto, Canada, and um, you know it's a it's a barrack that was used during the War of eighteen twelve, and in the eighteen thirties, a soldier uh, was killed. He was hung for being in, uh found with another man intimately, and so I'm doing a piece inside of this big. Um, settlement this barrack that explores this queer history through my lens as a mixed black artist and that you know that's using projections so i'll, I'll go from one medium to the next it, d- it depends really on what the story needs and how i want to express that
0: yeah i yeah i think um i um, one i didn't know that i guess you learn it but you learn something new every day um it's quite interesting I guess that barracks are still there like do they is it is is it no more used for an army for
1: well it's of, used like, as a as a historic site to sort of inform idea. people about the you know what was happening during and before the war of 1812 where it was this age-old battle of upper and lower Canada this British American fight that's ongoing and um I would say it's still ongoing, actually. Um, I'm not being hyperbolic when I say that, because it's weird to me when I moved to Canada that there's this imaginary line that divides Canada and America. And in the simplest way, it was explained to me, um, a mentor of mine, George Eliot Clark, who was Canada's former poet laureate. He explained in detail that really Europe just it was their attempt to maintain ownership of North America because of its resources Mm. and its trading routes. And that's never, it's been so hard to comprehend how land is divided when it doesn't belong to them. It belongs to the indigenous people. So it's, uh, it's so interesting to unpack.
0: Yeah, definitely. It's the divide and conquer they did, isn't it? It's like I recently learned about the Indian partition. Um, sort of how they just sort of drew borders and drew lines and land, which was one, not even theirs, but two, cut right Mm. through families, cut right through communities. Um, And I guess even Africa, like if you look at it, like it probably isn't that clean lines. (laughs) I've always been broken up on a map, but yeah, no, that's, I think there's a lot of history. There's a lot of sort of, when we look back, it's like, hey, shh y'all did a lot didn't you (laughs) and you sort of of you're still doing a lot but in a slyer way which we maybe don't even look at or think about
1: and I think that's what's so exciting for me is because I'm literally the embodiment of that history being white and black I'm like rather than thinking about it all the time in my psyche. Like I want to put it into art. I want to get it out of my system to, um, and to unpack it in a, not just a politicized way. Cause I feel like political art is it's, I think our work is innately political as artists of color. So I don't pursue that, but I I like to explore it through uh composition and, like, what is artful in this history? Like how to make it something so it doesn't consume me. Yeah, for the, <laughs> <you
0: know? laughs> no, I, feel, I, I understand you. I, I see what you mean. Um, I think art does that for people. Like it really allows you to sort of express yourself, but in a creative way and figure out, OK, what sort of works? How can I portray this message that I'm trying to get across? Um, and I think in Mixed Up, you did that really well um mixed up with something that you've made in film that you've made. Um and for my audience, I will try and find somewhere where y'all can watch it legally um for the UK audience. I think in the US, where can people watch it in the US? In Canada, I'm sure it's much easier there.
1: So in Canada, it's on Amazon Prime and Apple TV and Out TV. They're like the biggest Out TV is the biggest LGBT network in the world, I believe actually. And um and in the UK out TVs on Fruit TV. That's F O F R O T T. Nope, F R O O T uh, dot TV. Fruit, TV. Fruit TV. And um, I, I think I butchered that, but <laughs> you can put it in a link somewhere. Yeah, yeah,
0: <laughs> we'll we'll put link. Don't worry about it, guys, because I didn't write that down. So we'll we'll find links for people to go and watch it. But I, yeah, I really liked how you brought yourself to that film, like when it opened up is sort of your face that's there and you're talking Um, and you're showing film of your family when the, when you guys were younger. I really liked when it first came up, I was like, is that actually him? Like, is that actually his mom and his dad? Because I don't know. I just, I don't see old sort of camcord VHS sort of videos
1: anymore. Um, oh, right. I know. That was... <laughs> It was such a foreign experience putting it together because I had the same experience that you had. I was looking at this old footage of myself going, is that me? Like I, <laughs> I had this really, there was a huge disassociation with it. And maybe it was helpful because I could actually be objective about what I was trying to say. And in many ways, the more specific you are, the more universal uh, a, a story resonates with its audience I really learned that on this project to be so specific and the number of people that have contacted me and said how much my story resonated with their story and I think that's really the goal is that you know we're able to impact others so they can see themselves in you and vice versa
0: Yeah, definitely. And I guess we can get into a bit about your story as well. We mentioned that you'd moved from the UK to Canada. um, And we've been talking about it, that you're mixed race, um, that your mom was white and then your dad was mixed race as well. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I guess we can maybe even just take a look at your parents, like, did they ever talk to you about being a mixed couple? I know in the film it says quite a lot on it. which. I think when you talked about sort of being able to see those tapes, I think Mm -hmm. they really helped me. And I guess the audience also relates to the story and actually see what was going on. So I guess for your parents, like, what was it like during that time? Did they ever talk to you about it?
1: You know, what's funny is there was never this like pivotal moment where they sat me down and did the (laughs) talk. It was just understood that our family get togethers were completely, um, diverse. And, um, you know, I've, I've said, I can't remember what I've said to you on or off. (laughs) So I'm sorry if I'm repeating myself, but it's very interesting that on one side of my family, there's a whole South Asian Caribbean side. And then there's this, um, American side. So it's, 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 it was just, never really something that was how do I it was never framed in a way that had me questioning this sort of internal hierarchy. It was just both of were of equal value in my life that I was, you know, mixed black and all this other stuff. And I think really the question started coming up when I would have outside people judging me and, you know, the ignorance that people have of going, Oh, what are you? And me going, Oh, well, I'm, I'm mixed black. And they go, Oh, you're not black. And I'm like, well, why did you ask? <laughs> just gonna say Clearly no. you asked because yeah. you saw something. And so, um, I think one of those struggles that many people have is mixed people, which I, I felt less of this until I would say I was a bit older but a lot of people I think want to belong and I've never had that desire because I've always wanted to be um autonomous and uh, sort of not blend in with the crowd and so that was never really a struggle for me mm-hmm. so much as later I think that this desire to belong when you start having a family and you want to build a community, that's where I, um, I would say that sort of desire came, but it's very interesting when you, when you think about this, the challenges that many mixed people faced before me, uh, particularly when it comes to passing, which is traditionally, you know, something we never controlled. It was always people outside of us that controlled whether we passed for white or not. And, You know, in those extreme circumstances, people were using it as a survival mechanism. And there's an incredible book that I read when I was creating Mixed Up by Alison Hobbs, where she talks about how racial passing is a form of exile. And it's sometimes chosen and sometimes it isn't. And I think to turn one's back onto who they really are, after a while, it it will come back and bite you. And the loss and the alienation often outweighs the rewards of passing. So like, what's the point? I've never thought about trying to blend in or pass. I've always just been. And um, so it was really nice to use Mixed Up as a vehicle to explore all of these nuances and and contradictions of what, what it means to live in that gray area. And that's really where we live as artists. It's the unknown. And I wanted to go there and it was, it was fun to sort of use visual metaphor to personify that. So at the beginning of the film, when I am, I'll give away a little secret. I'm sort of covered in a mud bath and I, start to calcify and I become white and what I'm really trying to say is that you know if we if we to be stuck in whiteness is not the ideal we want to live in the beauty of diversity
0: yeah definitely um and I think when you talked about sort of passing um it's only really a select few people that who have that issue, you know, people that are that are white don't have that issue, people that are black don't have that issue, you, you know, it's people that are mixed. And then you've also got then the spectrum of how dark are you? How light are you? You know, can, right. can you be a part of, you know, your friendship group, which is all white and you can sort of get away with passing, but then you're, as you said, you're denying a part of yourself. um in the
1: film, it's always funny, like those gatekeepers have predominantly been white people yeah like i'll be be with black like i i was one of the inaugural artists and residents with black lives matter canada wild seed center for arts and activism and they just like open arms welcome there's no question and yet i've i've noticed in my just exchanges that it's, it's often white people that are sort of the gatekeepers of blackness. I'm like, don't, you know, no, you don't get to do that.
0: <laughs> yeah, you don't, one, you don't have the right, but then also it, it just doesn't really make sense for you to even do it. Like, right. <laughs> um, And so you said that you never really, because I guess for you, you're quite light, so you can pass, you can technically pass, but you said you never really wanted to. Did that, was that always something in you or... Oh, God, think?
1: yeah. Like, yeah. It's, and, and I think that just comes from strong parentage. Like my mom and dad just going, just be who you are. And, you know, there would, it's funny in the childhood phase, there are stupid things that are said. Like, um, oh, I remember with this one kid saying, oh, you're like a reverse Oreo. <laughs> I've heard that before. And <laughs> I was like, what? Like, A, a I was so English at the time. I had this funny little accent when I was young. I must been like, what? <laughs> and, and because Oreos aren't really an English thing. No, that not. At least they thing. weren't when I was growing up. So I was like, what's an Oreo? And then I saw it and went, oh, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so the, the ignorance, you just sort of pass off. Forgive the pun, pass <laughs> off. <laughs>
0: That was intentional, wasn't it? Totally. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. No. I mean, I think kids, like, you know, I think kids sometimes are just kids, horrible. Yeah, they can be horrible. <laughs> kids can be so awful. I've had a kid called me fat once, and she wasn't wrong. I am a big guy, but I was like, I don't need you to tell me I'm fat.
1: <laughs> you just awful. Need- oh, I was a big kid too. It's 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 hard. It's really hard being a child, and I can't even imagine what it must be like now with everything we've gone through with the pandemic and media like it's I don't envy that experience
0: oh yeah I 100% agree with you me and my friends have talked about it we're saying I'm glad we were kids when we were kids because I couldn't imagine now like having to deal with Social media, Instagram, Snapchat, like and mm. what in TikTok? TikTok's even worse. Like I'm like I'm, I I, ne- I said I'd never download TikTok, but then it got me, and now I'm semi addicted. Um, but just the way they made it, they knew how to get kids hooked, and then, you know, you see reports of Instagram that put out you know content that like what is it? Like eating a eating with disorder content to young girls, or like peddling sort of negative images for them, which worsen their mental health. And I think TikTok also does the same as well. So yeah, I, I couldn't imagine trying to navigate this world now as a child.
1: Mm. Yeah,
0: it must be it must be kind of terrifying, kind of scary. <laughs> <but> yeah. <laughs> um. So I guess um for you um. We we talked about some of your childhood and um, your parents as well. And one thing which I actually really wanted to find out from you, um, your parents would have definitely faced prejudice for being a mixed couple. And um, in the film, you talk about how your parents would have faced prejudice and you as a mixed gay man um, would have also faced prejudice. But then the fact that your dad didn't come to your wedding. Um which sort of hit me in the heart when I heard that. Um and then you said, how can someone that has experienced prejudice repeat those actions to your own child? So I guess for you, um one, let me first hear about your husband, and then you can tell me sort of how it felt that your dad didn't come to the wedding.
1: Oh, oh my gosh. My husband is incredible. And I think, you know, one of the first things that is confronting to a lot of people is when there is an age difference. Mm. My husband is 28 years older than me. And so I think that I can understand from my parents' perspective that they were, that was shocking to them. And I think, um, you know, my dad, I don't want to generalize, but there's, uh, there is, you know, some homophobia that is a bit rampant in our community. And, um, and it's always been a difficult relationship with my dad, but he the beautiful thing is he's coming around. And I think if people are um, willing to change, that's a beautiful thing to observe. But what I was pointing to in the film, really, it wasn't trying to vilify him. And I think it's been pretty obvious to people that have seen the film that it is quite a love letter to him in many ways. I literally write a letter to him in the film. Um but what I what I was trying to speak to was this sort of poetic irony that everything my parents have gone through, um, that that was somehow repeated. And um and what my desire is is to break the cycle in that to break the um the chain so a new narrative can, you know, be written. And um and I, there, there's so many beautiful aspects to my husband. I think we sort of bonded and fell in love over our love of theater and art. And um, there's this innate mentorship in our marriage too. And there's there's just so much fruitful gain that's come from it. And we have we actually sadly just lost a dog of ours, but we we both love pugs, so we have. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we've these like little pigs, I call them. <laughs> and so it's it's been very, uh, such a beautiful relationship that we've cultivated and we've been married since 2018. And, yeah. you know, at the time, I think I did say to my dad, um, I'm not asking for your approval. I'm letting you know that I'm getting married and um, I'd love you to be there. And if you can't be there, that's okay. I did say that and he wasn't ready at the yeah. time but i also you know with the film it's very often a lot of artists have claimed that you you know it's hard to write about your family when you're when they're still alive because yeah. you are immortalizing them in a way and um and so i you know i did sort of break a a rule which is not uncommon with me to sort of push against conformity i broke a rule when talking about my family, but I knew I wanted to, and I had to, and I, in many ways, you know, when my eldest sister watched it, she was so moved. Like I, I, I've never heard her that way Mm -hmm. on the phone with me that she was like, wow, how are you really, you spoke to a lot of truths that I think so many families want to keep their relationship on the surface to the world around them. And the thing is, we all have families and we don't choose them. That's the one thing in our life we don't choose. And so um, that's, you know, there, there are many things to say, but I would say that that sort of was a desire of mine to really unpack, as I said, all of these nuances of what is it to be a mixed family. Yeah, with all the ups and
0: all the downs. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, every every family has their ups and downs, and um, has their demons that they need to tackle as well. Um, and so I think it was very brave of you, to be honest with you, um, to share that much, to to sort of be vulnerable and to d- to discuss some of those things that happened, um, with you in your family. And you know, I don't think the story would have been the same. Um, I think I told you before that I didn't really, I didn't know what to expect from watching it, um, but the fact that it was so personal and that it was about you and your family, and um, as you're saying, being specific makes it more universal. Which sort of sounds like a contradiction, doesn't it? But it does. yeah. <laughs> but I think I, I I'm glad you told the story that way because I think it just made it a lot more powerful um, when it resonates with people.
1: Mm-hmm. And you know, there's something else that i've just i have noticed with a lot of other because i i've really built a community of mixed people that i love and and um the one thing i've noticed is like there is a difference when you're raised and your mom is white versus your dad being white or vice versa um whether one parent's black or the other one's black and i guess what i was really trying to Unpack is that black, that to be mixed isn't always to be white and something else, that you can be mixed within cultures. and mm-hmm. that's and we all are like our society is not homogenous anymore.
0: Yeah. I you I remember you you said in the thing in terms of society not being homogenous and that we'll all be mixed eventually. Um mm-hmm. you know, even if you're Zimbabwean and you're Nigerian or right. you're Canadian uh-huh. and American or South American and or Brazilian and Cuba, you know what I mean? Like there's a mix mm-hmm. of cultures and a mix of identities that's happening. Um I think it also just makes the world it just makes it more of an interesting place to be honest with you because you don't oh, have God, yeah. you don't have people that are the same no one's the same anyway but when you have a mix of two different sorts of cultures or races um it can be quite interesting or even religions i remember i was talking to someone from my podcast and he said that his dad was muslim and his mom was christian and i was like i've never heard of that before like mm. and sort of that he ended up being, he ended up being a pastor, and he's a Christian. Um, but I always wow. thought, I always thought that's quite interesting. Um, there's so many sort of variations and mixes that can happen.
1: In oh the God, world. yeah. Speaking of, I remember <laughs> like all those. That's a memory I actually have. Jumping back to your first question mm. of being in England, and every year getting a printed Bible. <laughs> a printed Bible from the, the church of England school where oh, I, went I went to of I, I remember one of my first things, one of my first experiences was going, why is Jesus white? <laughs> <laughs> well, he wasn't. <laughs> he wasn't exactly. And it was just all of these, um, sort of all the subtext that was given to us as children that really would Try to suggest that whiteness was the dominant culture, and that's what I've always questioned: is why, like, what, why?
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: I mean, they why designed it like case? that,
0: didn't they? Right. So yeah, it worked. The system worked for them. <laughs> they designed it. Well, not well. anymore. <laughs> yeah, true. It is being dismantled. Definitely, we're like unlearning constantly yeah no, definitely. And so I guess for you, um how has your identity changed over time? like how have you sort of grown um into the man that you are
1: today and ex- how have you mm-hmm. gone through exploring that? <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> I'm not crying really. Uh, uh, it's been a, I would say like a very organic and um it's almost been a expansive like I've in the pandemic I I got some medical records for I can't remember what reason but I didn't have mine from my childhood and it confirmed a lot of what I knew already of my being intersex and um and so I was like whoa this is wild to be a mixed race of working in mixed media and I'm mixed gender too. Like what there's something about being mixed that will always be a part of my life. And, and it's so beautiful to see that my, the synthesis of my being will be impacted from so many influences. And so I would say it's, it's made me, um, dexterous. Yeah. (laughs) And, um, compliant and and um and i think it shows in the work that i do and and who i am as a person i think i'm i'm pretty fluid and virtuosic and it's fun it's fun to surprise people like this upcoming project i'm doing it's an opera it's a very big company that's taking it on and i'm just being brave and bold and jumping right in at the deep end which is all you can do and if you fail you fail, but You know, if you're striving for excellence and have good people on your team, you know, that's all you can ask for.
0: Yeah, definitely. And you can, as long as you're trying, if you fail while trying, it's better than never trying at all, isn't it? Right. Totally. Um, so uh, you said um, about getting your your records, your birth records, or medical records. What mm-hmm. do you mean by introsex? Because I've never heard of that before.
1: Oh, my know. gosh. Well, it's, um, so intersex is sort of an umbrella term and it used to be used to describe those who were hermaphrodite, and, you know, hermaphrodites, the, that term goes back to Greek mythology. And you see like accounts of hermaphrodite in West African culture, in indigenous culture, where there were the people in the society that were of both. And in, in some indigenous cultures call that two way. Um, and w- what I was born with was something, it's actually a very common thing. It's called, uh, a hermaphric, um, hyperspadius. And so, you know, doctors on the birth table, look at the genitalia and go, oh, that looks like that. Therefore they're a girl. Yeah. That looks like that. that. Therefore before. they're a boy. And like, you know, down there, it looked like both and they were like, Oh, but it looks more like a boy, so he's a boy. <laughs> <laughs> and um and you know later, you know I had surgeries and on the surface I appear to be a guy. Um but for me I was always like mm, there's something inside of me going no, but I'm both. Like I'm but I'm not non-binary, yeah. but I am sort of and so it was just, that's what it confirmed for me was to go, Oh, I'm actually intersex it, There's a word for this. And it makes sense to me. Um, so again, that it was two years ago that I got that information and I was too afraid to talk about it and mixed up. I wasn't ready to unpack that, but you know, and, and I, I've shared it with a few people since then. And it's something that, you know, I'm not ashamed of. Yeah. It's, I think the world is complex and we can choose to see that complexity as beautiful, or we can continue to live in these rigid binaries. And I don't espouse that. I think we are both everything all at once and nothing. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Not true. It is a hard thing to comprehend, actually, that we are, um, like the courage to be is the courage to accept oneself as unacceptable. We are everything and nothing at the same time. Yeah. It's, it's sort a of a wild thing to wrap your head around.
0: Yeah, definitely. It's I think there's a lot to unpack in that as well. And you know, I think once you sort of realize you just sort of got to be you and you sort of don't give a shit about what others say, it's very liberating, isn't it? It's like actually, yeah. I don't need your judgment to go and continue how I'm doing. Um do you think if you never got your birth records, like, I don't know. Do you think if you never got them, would you have sort of maybe always questioned or was it just sort of like, Hey, now I know I already sort of knew, but this is just like, yeah,
1: I, I always knew. Yeah. And like, the one thing that um I'm not afraid of saying this <laughs> is on the front of the birth records. It was like confidential. Do not share, <laughs> I'm not share this. I'm like, This is my, like, this is mine. I'm sorry. I will say to whom I want and what I please that I went under, I was in surgery a lot at that age. And it's, I understand now why I'm, I, I have this innate resistance to doctors because I was in hospital undergoing like all these procedures. It was insane. No one likes to be in hospital. So yeah. And, um, so I I sort of say poo on you guys. I'll say what I want.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, I'm 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 glad that um you've been able to stand out from the crowd and sort of be you. And I guess that you've been able to get to um I guess you said you your parents sort of always gave you that. But I think as we get older, we also have to sort of be okay. I need to reinforce that in myself now as well. I need to practice that.
1: Um, yeah. And I think that's where my you know. Yes, my birth name is Howard, but that's sort of what birthed Howie, is being this, I said to you before, it's, I'm a hybrid artist and I'm a unique interpreter. Like, this is the sort of where I've landed in terms of who I want to be in. It's been really this is a very long answer to your question of where I am now <laughs> yeah. to change. I'm only 32. So it's like, yeah, I've got a whole, hopefully knock on wood. I've got a whole, I've got a, many years ahead to expand who I am. Yeah, definitely. Like if we don't change, come on, who like, that's not, I feel like that's the point in being here is to change and grow.
0: Yeah. I mean, the only thing, the only thing constant in life is change, isn't it? It's the only thing you can ever rely on that is going to happen. Like, you can't predict what's going to happen in the world, but you know that shit will change. Um, and I think, as as you were saying, you're only 32. Um, I'm only 25. And if I looked back at 18 year old me, um, who, or maybe even 16, 15 year old me, um, I was a kid that oozed confidence um on the outside but on the inside there were so many insecurities um Mm -hmm. there were so many sort of even just the reason why i started this podcast is all am i black enough or stuff like this so um i would always get friend zoned by girls but they were usually my friends before Uh, but it came to a point i was like no i like you like i like you um and i think if you asked you know, 16 year old me, where are you going to be when you're 25? Not saying I'm a lady killer now, but um, I think the confidence is on the outside and it's on the inside as well. Um, And I understand to myself that, okay, I know who I am. I've still got time to adapt and to change, but I like who I am in this moment right now. Um, Mm. And so, yeah, as you were saying, sort of you will change as you grow older. but I think you sort of still have your core values and who you are. It's just maybe how that manifests out, or I maybe mean, can add yeah. things along as you go on, isn't it?
1: It's so funny that you say you're twenty five because you see that like, you seem so um, poised and oh, thank you. Sure, which I'm not saying all twenty five year olds aren't that, but it's, <laughs> you have a beautiful quality. It's very interesting.
0: No, thank you very much. Yeah, no, I actually turned twenty five uh, January the eleventh. So Happy birthday. Day. Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, so, yeah, um, I guess one thing I would um, really like to know in terms about you being in the media industry, um, what's it been like being in the media industry? What have you seen in terms of the people that you work with, the people around you? Um, yeah. What have you noticed?
1: Well, I think it's an incredible time to be working in the arts, to see works and pieces. From different points of view, you know, the imbalance has been, um, it has, <laughs> it has favored certain people yeah. over others, and I think to see that, <laughs> you know, just a little bit, I think to see the work that's coming out in all of, um, sectors, art sectors, is is fascinating, and I love that I in Toronto I get to sort of be part of many of those. Um, but I'm as I sort of alluded to this earlier, I'm very cognizant of work that has a political agenda. And I don't I'm not sure if that always serves its purpose. You know, something that my husband has said, um, who's he's just such a wealth of knowledge is that theory really comes out of practice. We we can leave that for the critics and the you know the people that theorize about it. But really, our work can't start with theory. We have to start with inspiration. And ideas and inquiry. And I think that's what I'm excited about seeing in the in the media industry is what is I, I keep asking myself, what does it mean that now on like the big commercial theater and film and all those things that mainstream media show us? We're seeing a lot of biopics and like films made into musicals. And I go. Like, I don't need to see an animated version of Harry Potter. I saw this this theater show, but like, where is originality? And then when you see something like Hamilton, you know, very original. And then it was interesting with Lin-Manuel. I hadn't seen In the Heights. And when I saw In the Heights, I went, oh, I see. I see his influence that actually drew inspiration to become... Hamilton. So being, to be original is very difficult right now. And I think that's what I'm trying to unpack is what is, what is going to spark someone to go, wow, I've never seen that before. Yeah. Like what, and and what is the recipe for that? It's, it's a bit of luck. It's a bit of magic. I think we, what I'm, some of the best art I've seen is when someone can be, an illusionist and they can surprise you. So I'm trying to see how I can maybe incorporate that into my work Because really when I was young, I remember there was one week I was like, I'm going to be a magician. <laughs> gonna- I remember it so distinctly. I so said, I'm going to be a magician. Then I was like, no, I'm going to be an actor. And then that just changes as you grow.
0: Yeah. So- we, we, we all had different careers, didn't we? I wanted to be um, a DJ at one point. Um, I had a, had a name as well. I, I even made some, um, like you know, like how on Nike you can like make shoes, like you can change the colors. I put like DJ Tizzy on some Jordans. That's uh, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, you I can always bring that. it back. <laughs> um but yeah I, I think I changed so many careers and now I'm now I'm a now I've finished my master's in social work um wow that's incredible thank you very much but I don't think I will even I mean I'm gonna do it but I don't think I'll do it for too long um yeah. because I think that I've always been like when I was a kid I said I wanted to be a director um I said I wanted to be an actor and in like Black households is sort of like no, you should go and do something that's a stable job. You should go and do something (laughs) where, you know, is stop living in your pipe dream. Um, so I think I will always sort of have that sort of creative media side in me. Yeah. Um, that I really would like, and I think someone I remember, I don't. It was really random to be honest with you, but it was someone I was talking to on a dating app. And I said, oh, yeah, I wanted to be a director as a kid. And she was like, well, you can, you know, you can still be a director. Like you can make YouTube videos, you can make short films. And I think what I've seen um, in the last few years is that people can create their own sort of thing. Like my brother was watching KSI the other day um, in a boxing rink. And it was like, that was a YouTuber that's created this whole empire for himself. Um so I think you can really create a lot for yourself these days. Oh
1: my God. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny too. Cause like when I was young, I did, I I acted till pretty consistently till I was like 20, 25. And, and I think there was a big shift for me in moving into not being the art that the art could exist outside of me. And that is liberating. That was really liberating mm-hmm. for me to go. Yeah. I don't want like, a, I can come back to acting. And my sister's, you know, one is a in the States, she's like a content creator on TikTok, and the other is an actress. And um my they're they're both doing great things. But for me, it was like actually, I want it to exist outside of me. And I yeah. think that was, was a big change for me to move into what I say now, which is I'm a director, a designer, and a divisor of new work. In whatever medium I choose. <laughs> yeah,
0: I wanted to um, pick up actually. In terms of very related to being a directing, creating, you're talking about originality and wanting to produce something original. Um, but do you think? Do you think anything is original? Do you think originality exists?
1: The core values of being original is to be independent and inventive. But I think part of, you know, inventiveness is to, is taking inventiveness is taking what is old and refurbishing and renewing and revitalizing. And and I think so you're right. I, th- I think part of that is borrowing, not but not erasing the original um, re- the original source. And that's what's really exciting about the opera piece I'm doing is. We're taking a woman who was deemed a national historical figure in Canada, Portia White. She was from Nova Scotia. And um it's funny when I say I'm doing an opera about Portia White, people go, Who's that? And I go, that's the injustice. That's my job is to make sure that we never forget who she is. Because she was huge, huge impact on the classical musical scene here. And and you know, I just felt like it was such a there's such poetic justice in Portia and her story being on the the biggest opera stage in this country yeah. and on a stage that she never got to be on in her lifetime because she was black. And there's all these beautiful ironies that she's a black woman named Portia White. And so like yeah, that's just a little think, bit. Really, <laughs> Like there's something really incredible to unpack of the themes of color in her life. And it's amazing if you ever come to Canada, Halifax is like a huge center where a lot of black loyalists went. And, um, and the names there are so beautiful. There's the pinks, the whites, the blacks, the browns, like all of these um, black families with names of color. It's really interesting. Oh,
0: that is interesting. Yeah, definitely. I'd never heard of her before until now either. So that's some injustice on my part too. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I can't wait to come to I've always wanted to go to visit Canada, to be honest with you. Um, it's probably out of my like if I was ever to leave the UK, um, it's probably one of my top three places I'd go and live. Like Canada, mm-hmm. Australia, and I don't know, maybe Greece or Italy. Um, but yeah, those would those would be probably those three spots. So yeah, I'd love to come to Canada one day. So hopefully I, I I'll be able to and get to find out more um about that. And also to see your opera as well. Um is that is the Nova Scotia not Nova Scotia, um Precious White, is that the same one you were telling me about earlier that you are doing for the Canadian opera? Was this a different
1: one? Yeah, yeah. It's um her name was Portia White. Portia so she's named after um, Shakespeare's Merchant of Venice, who, um, he, his very famous, um, heroine Portia. And, um, yeah, she's such a fascinating, a fascinating subject because she, you know, she, many people talk about her, at the end of her career, she performed for the queen, um, the late queen. Um, and I, I, I just found it very interesting that it was another way that history sort of centralized whiteness that, you know, this black woman who performed for the queen. And I was like, that's not the most interesting thing about her. And so that's really what I was interested in unpacking was what are these sort of, how did a woman who was really born when the Titanic sank and she died right before stonewall so like 1911 to 1968 she didn't even see mlk Mm -hmm. um we know what happened to that beautiful man but yeah it was was, like such an interesting historical lens to look at her life through and so i was interested in unpacking how she might you know navigate her life and so the um, the opera begins at the end of her life, and she dies, and she's fractured into her body, her soul, and her spirit, and has to navigate the spirit realm in order to eventually ascend. So it's it's a very spiritual piece, and um, sort of collides this uh, repertoire of very known. Um, canonical uh, operatic works with spoken word and hip hop and rap. And it, it's really about unsiloing uh, this um, art form that has really predominantly centralized whiteness and relegated blackness to the corners. And it's about actually doing the opposite that we centralize this black woman and her experience. So it's going to be really fun.
0: Yeah, no, that sounds really interesting. And it glitched a bit while you were in it. Um, but I guess I'll just repeat from the audience from, I think, what I was correct, what you were correct in saying is that the feel, the opera picks up after she's died and she's sort of going through the a spirit realm um, and seeing how she interacts with, um, I don't know, was you, were you saying interacts with sort of different people in different times as well? Yeah,
1: she, she, she returns to memories from her past and yeah. has to reconcile this experience she had when she was your age she was 24 25 and she has a child and um she has to choose between being a mother and being who she became as portia white and so it's reconciling her life choices and leave the spirit realm and and ascend so it's it's going to be very um exciting like yeah. that's the only word i can think of it sounds, think
0: of. it sounds trippy sounds interesting sounds different original as we've been talking about yeah <laughs> so yeah and when does that come out when when can people if it, it's out?
1: not quite announced yet so okay we uh sure. i've got to i got to keep some secrets <laughs> yeah. no but it's, uh, it's it's soon it's it's in the next i can't say no, that's all right. We'll keep it. We'll keep it <laughs> on the lock. We we'll keep it on the lock. Um,
0: I, um, before we end this conversation, I just sort of wanted to ask you two questions. Uh, mm. What well, three actually? That's a lie. Um, <laughs> why did you choose mixed up? Um, I thought that was quite interesting. I don't know. Was there a reason for it, or am I just reading into it?
1: Oh, you mean the title? Yeah. Oh well, I, I think there's um been a historic presumption that those who are mixed are sort of um there's a problem like they have their and and it's it is a trope that a lot of people have assumed that the sort of tragic mulatto is the is the mixed person who can't choose between their identities and so I, I was playing on that idea that I feel very certain of who I am and yet this history that uh has perpetuated this idea that we are sort of mixed up in the head yeah, so it was a, it was it was a playful witty way of acknowledging the history of mixed people
0: yeah definitely i i really liked it i thought it was sort of subtle but also powerful at the same time and yeah you are you even i remember hearing people say that oh you know mixed people you know they're confused they don't know who they are they don't know where they belong, um, which I don't know. I I don't think there's, I think there's maybe truth in terms of people that are mixed don't feel like they're part of either one or group, but I don't think it's necessarily a negative thing because
1: it's not like it's their choice
0: to not be a part of either group, you know what I mean?
1: And what I really, I, I don't think I've said this ever, but what I really want to espouse in mixed people is rather than trying to belong in either forge your own path like really that's like if if there's anything to take away from it forge your own path and if you need to find community find community but be original like be you it's so otherwise why be here
0: (laughs) yeah (laughs) no we don't all want to be sheep do we at the end of the day oh this is boring yeah, I'd rather be an eagle. Sometimes sheep are cute. <laughs> I mean, you no. lived in England, so I'm sure you saw Wales at one point in your time. Yeah. So plenty <laughs> of <you>. sheep. <laughs> um, I guess um, for you, um, I didn't know you were only 32 um, before we had this conversation, but um, you've got quite a lot of life left ahead of you. Um, so what are maybe some of your future aspirations for your career, um, but also personally?
1: Uh. Oh my gosh. I do think um what I'm really loving about the opera community is how international that community is. Like I th- I'm supposed to be there today <laughs> at rehearsal. I'm I'm working for the company. <laughs> I'm just observing the process right now and um to meet artists from London and Berlin and Australia and like, you know, the list goes on. I'm just like, I want to do that. I want to, it just expands your horizons to be able to work across borders and languages. So I think in that sense, like I'd love to see my work actually move internationally. That would be a big goal of mine. Um And also just to be able to continue doing what I do as an artist and be compensated for that. And, you know, to not be in, in debt. <laughs> It's it's it's, they sound like simple things, but they're. I just I want to live by doing what I do, and um, yeah. I I that's uh, this it's a big question, and I don't know if I can encapsulate because you never know what's going to happen. You know, with especially with this piece that I'm working on and the other sort of exhibition that I'm doing there's, there's a lot to hope for. And I, I love film too. Like I'd love to continue on that path of moving towards maybe doing my first feature length, um, narrative. And I've got some ideas about that, about what that is about. Um, and then, you know, with my residency, that's ended now with Black Lives Matter Canada, I have an exhibition with that that's coming up too. And I, I've done this very large scale um, image of my great grandmother, Mary, who was yeah. born in Costa Rica, I found out. And she moved to she moved around the Caribbean and ended up in Cuba. And then during the revolution, fled back to Jamaica when Batista's, Batista's government was, you know, the insurgents of the Cuban revolution. She got out of there. And so I'm like, that would interest me. like. Seeing a female perspective framed through this Cuban Revolution yeah. could be interesting, but I have to go to Cuba before I do that. I mean, so, what what a reason to go to Cuba? <laughs> yeah, I'm like to. I'd love to sort of get a research grant and go there and and see if that's worth unpacking. Because she was um, phenomenal, like her the stories that I've heard from my family about her and. Um, I know people are listening So they won't see But she um, I'll show you the image of her So you'll be able to see
0: Oh that's fine To be fair I'll be releasing them on YouTube soon So ah. you will be able to see In- There she is Okay She looks wise She looks like she's been through a lot
1: She does And she so does this is cute. all Um, That's all gold leaf
0: Oh And
1: the original image is like it was from um her hand down that's all recreated digitally that's crazy and so that has been blown up to it's about six foot tall the canvas so that's going to be at a gallery in toronto yeah so this stuff there's really cool stuff that i'm doing coming up that i'm excited to just put out into the world and see how it resonates with people
0: Definitely. You've got a lot of stuff planned and um, I look forward to ho- hopefully I can see some of your work because I'd love to. I've already seen some um, sort of mixed up, but I'd love to see more because I think all of those sound really interesting. And even the one about your grandmother in Cuba and exploring that and the Cuban revolution, it sounds like a story that's never been told before. It's a story I've never heard before, at least in terms about people's experience in Cuba during the revolution, but also from a woman's perspective, a black woman's perspective um you know i I, yeah that'd be really interesting if you ever get that going up i mean if you need like any help in cuba like you can just call me you know (laughs) i'll come no i've never been but i'd love to go to (laughs) cuba like i'd love to go. (laughs) stop baiting me out bro Um, but yeah, uh so I've loved this whole conversation that we've had. Um and before um I before we finish this conversation, um, I'm gonna tailor it as also to every guest, but I sort of tailor it differently. Um but say if there's a young person of mixed heritage that's listening to this conversation, how do you think either something you know or something that we've talked about can help them with an understanding of themselves?
1: I think um even though it's scary, like you just have to be brave and forge your own path. And if that means going against the grain a little bit, like, so be it. Yeah,
0: bro. And I think that sort of, um, I think we've hammered that home during this whole podcast as well. (laughs) Yeah. Um, (laughs) So yeah, no, thank you. The uh, original. (laughs) The original so yeah no howie thank you very much for um coming onto this podcast um i've really enjoyed thoroughly talking to you hopefully we can do it again hopefully i can come to toronto and meet you as well
1: oh that would be amazing yeah please and i'm uh like i i plan to be back in the uk a bit more so we'll actually do this easy in person. <laughs> Time. yeah no maybe think, not with the recording and the, and the microphones but Yeah, we could just hang
0: out. We can go to a pub in in, in Bath or something called London. Maybe not (laughs) London. Either way, they're all expensive. Bath and London. But yeah.
1: (laughs) And I didn't even ask, are you based in London? No, I live in Coventry. Oh, so you're right near the... Wow, you're near the uh, Marlowe Theatre. I've never heard of the Marlowe Theatre, actually. I believe it's in Coventry. It's uh, a beautiful
0: regional... I have to check it out, actually, because we've got... Oh my gosh, in Belgrade Theatre. I know there's that Mm. one, but I've never heard of Marlowe before, actually.
1: Yeah, it's the look, you should look it up. It's, oh, you know what? It's not there. It's in Canterbury. Oh, okay. Just a little further down, actually. Just a little bit bit further down. (laughs) So, yeah,
0: no, thank you very much for talking to me today, Howie. um, And I hope you enjoy the rest of your day.
1: Thanks. We'll talk soon. All right. Bye bye.
0: So, guys, that is the end of the episode. Thank you very much for listening. I really enjoyed talking to Howie. I think it's really good to have different perspectives and just to have different sorts of people onto the podcast. Hearing about Howie's experience of being a gay, um, mixed-race man, I think, is invaluable because there are many versions of what it means to be a black man or what it means to be a mixed man. And... Yeah, I think it really just aligns with what we are doing here at Black and Raw. So thank you, Howie, for coming onto the podcast and for bringing your experiences. Um, If you want to find out more about Howie, I'm going to put all the links into the show notes where you can find this film. You can find out more about the opera that he's going to be doing. And yeah, I think um, I don't think there's much else that I need to say to you guys other than thank you. Please like and review. If you want to get in touch with me, you can at Black and Raw on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. Or if you want to email me, which is uh, speak at blackandraw.co.uk. If you know anyone that you think can, should come onto to the podcast as well, holler at me. I love to meet new people. I love to find out what people are doing in your community or in your life. Or maybe if you think, oh, my dad is really awesome or my mom is really awesome. You know, we do have women on the podcasts and so it would be really interesting to see, see who you guys bring to me. So you guys bring to me. So I really appreciate you guys. Thank you for listening. Um, yeah i don't really know what more to say to y'all um other than there's gonna be an episode out next week it won't be a guest it'll be just me chatting so um, i hope you look forward to that you get to hear more of my voice but that is the end so thank you very much for listening and we will talk soon